Hi, I'm Eric Gurna, Executive Director of Development Without Limits, and this is Please Speak Freely, the podcast where we have honest conversations about youth development and education. Welcome to a special episode of Please Speak Freely. I'm Jennifer Brady of Development Without Limits, your guest host today, and I'm happy to bring you this special episode, which was recorded live at the Midwest After School Science Academy that was convened by Project Liftoff in Kansas City, Missouri, this past March 2013. In this episode, we hear from partners and participants of this conference. They talk about the importance of STEM and out-of-school time and how the Midwest After School Science Academy is moving the dialogue forward. Alan Friedman, a board member of the Noyce Foundation, kicks us off with the history and context of STEM and out-of-school time and the MASA conference. Okay, we're here with Alan Friedman of the Noyce Foundation. Good morning. Good morning. And I'd love to just hear you talk a little bit about why you're here at the Midwest After School Science Academy. The Noyce Foundation has been devoted to trying to improve public understanding of science and open up opportunities for careers in science for its whole history. And... About seven years ago, the foundation decided that a lot of its funding in the formal education system had, well, frankly, had been a little disappointing. It wasn't that wonderful things didn't happen. It's that a few years afterwards, they had disappeared without a trace. Because the formal system is, it's big, it's bureaucratic, um, and it's unstable, It keeps changing as legislation changes, trends change, a superintendent, a principal changes, and so hard to make lasting reform. Whereas the informal world seems much more agile, much more easily changed, and people are in it voluntarily. Most of the people who work, for example, in after school are there because they love the idea. They love working with children. They love the freedom from uh, the constraints that they would have in the formal system. And we decided that we might have a longer lasting impact if we spent some of the money, roughly half of our uh, annual giving, in the area of non-formal, out-of-school, informal. So that means museums and zoos and botanic gardens. But increasingly, it has meant after-school. And I'm here as a board member to uh, both to uh, learn more about what's happening in the after-school field and just to follow up on our investment in, uh, in meetings like this and in many of the networks that are represented here. Mm-hmm. And what have you seen? What have you seen at this conference that is inspiring or interesting to you? The main thing is the contrast between the first after-school meetings I went to about 10 years ago, Mm. um, and then five years ago when we started funding, and today. And the contrast, um, let me put it this way, when we started, uh, the game was to try and convince people in out-of-school that they could do something in science, anything, something, just a little bit, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because they were doing, well, the sort of classic after-school things, basketball and arts and crafts, which are great, 
but the feel the thought that they could could actually engage with science or math or engineering that that was a case to be made flash forward 5 years ago and the question now was was not uh, could you do science everyone sort of acknowledged you could but what could you do and there were a limited number of activities that everyone did over and over again and so we were learning about new activities and the issue of how to train staff who didn't know any science to do science in after school. And now today at this meeting, uh, I was able to go to four sessions in a row on how to critically evaluate the quality of what we're doing with science in after school. How do we measure our impact? How can we improve our programs by studying the data we get from evaluation? So we've gone from having to be convinced that this is something that's even possible to how to refine what we're doing now that's working pretty well but might be even better. So this has been a dramatic change in 10 years. And again, in comparison with the formal education system, uh, reforms start and disappear within 10 years. Mm -hmm. Whereas here we've seen a steady growth in after-school science and a steady deepening of the quality and the, 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 th the thought that goes into what's happening. Mm -hmm. uh, we should capture the wisdom of everyone here as to what we should do next year. What are the, the burning issues? Uh -huh. uh, they're not the same as the burning issues 10 years ago or five years ago, um, but we tend at a meeting like this to talk about our successes, and we need to spend a little time talking about where are we still weak, what are we still nervous about, mm -hmm. uh, what do we need more of, and aside from money, <laughs> uh, what understanding could we prepare for next year's conference to bring in people who know just how you deal with that issue? Mm -hmm. Now we'll hear from Marianne Stimmer from STEM Educators. Marianne talks about how the field of youth development brings certain strengths and can partner with the school day to inspire young people to engage in STEM. I think one of the really great things about after-school science is that you have youth development workers doing the work, and they're, they're all about helping kids figure out who they are and developing strong, confident young people. And that's what STEM should look like in after-school. And so it's not about the group leader having all the answers. And, and in fact, when we do training, we say, even if you know the answer, don't tell. The best answer to any question is, how can we find out together? Because it's about reinforcing in, in the kids. They can find out. They can handle it. They can do it because they are scientists. They are strong and confident. And, and you know, the other thing we, we tell folks in the field is, most scientists know very, know a lot about very little. So even when I worked in the lab, I knew a lot about my field, but it's like half a percent of what's happening in mm -hmm. science. Mm -hmm. And so there's no need to know it all. What you need to know is how to figure it out. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of and, sense. And that's yeah. what youth workers do. They help kids figure out life. Mm -hmm. I think that's, I really think that's great guidance too, because a lot of youth workers mm -hmm. that I speak to uh, are still, still have the fear of STEM and out of school time. So another gift, another reason that the youth workers are a gift 
is that they generally come from the same demographic as the kids. So you've got built-in role models. So if you have a youth worker who will say, you know, I, I really don't know why that oobleck acts like a solid sometimes and acts like a liquid sometimes, but let's find out together. Well, that's perfect because somebody who looks like me, who's like me, who comes from my community, first of all says it's okay not to know everything. And second of all, is willing to share the experience with me. So an adult that they they come to care about and respect is willing to share that experience with them. So really, after school is the sweet spot for STEM education. You know, in in the day, teachers who who are very committed and work very hard have – a really tight set of constraints. They have somewhat limited time. Sometimes they have a pacing calendar. There's a scope and sequence. And to to get done what they need to get done is very difficult. And in the day, there's a focus that's imposed on the teachers on content because they're going to have a test. And perhaps even the teacher will be evaluated on how our class does. And after school, there's no rules. There's no scope and sequence. There's no pacing calendar. The teacher's not going to be evaluated, and the kids aren't going to be evaluated. And so if one of the kids says, well, what happens if I put the oobleck in the microwave? During the day, the best the teacher can say is, what a great question. Can you go home and try that and come back and tell us tomorrow? Mm-hmm. But in after school, the teacher, the group youth worker can say, there's a microwave in the cafeteria. Let's go find out. And so just more flexibility, more working from the teachable moment. And the other thing is that if the kids are really interested in states of matter, which is what that's all about, the next day the youth worker can come in and say, Let, you know, let's do something else. So they reinforce the learning. Mm-hmm. Whereas the daytime teacher has a scope and sequence. She has to move on. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I admire teachers. It's it's a very, very hard job. And, and I think for the most part they do a great job. But um, in after school, we, we just have this great opportunity to be their allies, to focus on the things that they can't during the day. So if they're focusing on content, we can focus on the engagement and the identity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I've heard you referred to as the conscience of this <laughs> STEM in after school universe. And I was wondering if you have any any thoughts on pitfalls or things that we as a field need to be beware or be wary of um, as we're kind of moving forward in this path of STEM and out of school time? I don't know that I'm the conscience, but <laughs> I think people mean I'm the mouth because <laughs> I'll, I'll just say, I think, I think the thing we have to be wary of is the idea that we've figured it out. I don't think we have figured it out. I think, first of all, things change. I think flexibility is really important. Um, I think the great thing about about youth development workers, who I also have tremendous respect for, is they seem to genuinely care about the kids. And I know that because when I'm doing training, you can tell by the questions they're asking, they want to get it right for the kids. And I think... I think it's important to appreciate that and to appreciate 
the fact that after school is the sweet spot, that youth workers are somehow the ideal people to, to work on this idea of identity in STEM and engagement in STEM, and not to point to things that may not be working as well because it may not be that we're suited for that. And after school, maybe our job isn't to impart all of the content because we don't necessarily have the science expert in after school. And I think it's important to think of ourselves as allies, as what happens in the day. We want to work with with teachers. We want to join forces and, you know, I don't know that it's a seamless day, but it's a day where we're working together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To Mary Ann's point, I think we do want to work together in partnership with school day learning and also with the needs of businesses and the workforce. Our next guest, Jeff Bueller, talks about how we can make this happen and how the Midwest After School Science Academy works to support partnerships and increase capacity to implement STEM. What is still kind of at the critical point here is like, okay, so there's all this potential for STEM in after school or after school is a partner in STEM education, but how do we make it happen? You know, how do, how do we work with the existing workforce and all its strengths and all its challenges and, and make the STEM implementation and quality STEM learning and after, after school or out of school time, you know, a reality? Um, some of it is about, you know, coordinating resources, uh, but others is for those communities who don't have the resources, how can we help um, get them what they need, get them the support and help increase their capacity at a local level? so that they can, you know, take the professional development opportunities or those resources and implement STEM and implement in a, in a way that's ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and so what is this conference? Talk a little bit about this conference and how this conference is supporting that goal. Right. Um, so the Science Academy, this is our fourth after-school Science Academy, and we started four years ago with the idea of, okay, we were, we were starting to get some STEM funding together, STEM initiatives together in Missouri. There was uh, our neighbor in Kansas had a STEM initiative, um, so we wanted to be intentional about that. So, so all of the, over the years, we've, we've promoted certain curriculum, and then based on the feedback and the demand that comes from those, then we, we, over the next year, we bring in trainers or uh, we try to scale up those curriculum and professional development efforts in the state based on kind of using this as a, a jumpstart to mm-hmm. that effort. And are you able, with, through your organization, are you able to go out and see where, what people learn from the conference? Where does that go? Are you able to see these strategies being implemented on the ground or how do you know you know what happens after the conference right well so there's so there's we kind of see it as three main audiences at the science academy there's the frontline staff who you know works directly with youth um we see some of that um through our curriculum projects um both when they're trained but when they're in the youth we also have another national science foundation grant with uh Pair uh, and program education after school resiliency um, to develop a dimensions of success assessment tool mm-hmm. uh, to observe st- uh, STEM and out of school time. So based on that, we do get to connect with some of the professionals and see you know how they are implementing the curriculum and 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 
at the same time developing the tool, but making that connection between to see what kind of fidelity is actually happening between the trainings and on the ground. So that's one audience. The second audience would be the midline or the administrators. And a lot of those sessions are focused on, you know, increasing your staff's capacity, supporting your staff and their STEM efforts, um, those type of things. So we, I think we probably have more direct contact with those program administrators as a statewide intermediary because we have different leadership opportunities, um, local partnerships, statewide partnerships. So we probably in more contact with the administrators so we get to hear how, whether it's a specific curriculum or where we talk about data collection and evaluation, um, try hearing what their needs are. Um, some of it is started by the Science Academy, but also other comes comes later during the curriculum implementation. And then the third audience would be uh, system system level leaders, system leaders, uh, whether it be you know local city leaders, um, and we have a lot of statewide after school networks. Um, that come through different different grants and different projects to come be a part of it from all over the nation. And by, probably because we, we are a statewide network, I get to see them several times a year. Um, they, you know, that at first that was the tough one, you know, in terms of like mm-hmm. how do we make it something for them because we were still kind of a, understanding where does STEM fit in our statewide efforts. Uh, but now in, in looking at some of the different states, especially regionally, who've been doing it for a few years, the way that the Science Academy has allowed them to bring partners or potential partners to an event where they can kind of experience it together and have some time to work together and say, how can you know how can we make this ba- happen back in our state? And I think there's been a lot of uh, successful partnerships that have come from it. You know, um, we've really been able to advance our data collection of you know figuring out what kind of stems going on in our state by the different resources we bring to these. And a lot of it's just just connecting to others, you know, mm-hmm. at, at your level, whether system level or administrative level, because everybody has similar structures. Um, everyone has similar struggles in terms of making this happen, whether a state level, program level, whatever. Uh, that you know that we're making a difference in youth youth's lives, and we're making a difference in this, the practice of our staff, and we're making a difference in our communities. Uh, because that's why that's why we're here. We, I mean, we want to know. We want to know we're doing that. But we also, as uh, the entity that helps coordinate the the program, we want to know, you know, that they're that they're successful and and help them in in that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What um, what's your background that drives you to do this work? I mean, planning a conference is really intense, and um, and that's not all you do um, through your work. What's what drives you to, In terms of to my be background? here? Um, my personal background, it's actually I'm not a, a, a STEM major. Uh, I don't have a STEM degree. I did go into college pre-biology, so I've always enjoyed mm-hmm. those type of things. Um, but I, uh, I soon transferred to early childhood education and working with children, youth, and families. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had more of a social services background uh, in that sense. Um, uh, but that being said, you know, when I, I used to run an after-school program for 12 years, and you know, the the now that I know what they stem, but the different projects that I would enjoy doing were, as I look back, some of my favorite, whether it was like music and and, and the different and the different science projects, and um, so that's kind of the background. And so when, I remember when I was 
an undergraduate um, when I was an undergraduate and I was getting a degree to teach public school K through three mm-hmm. with my early childhood education degree. You know, we'd get to this level where there would be these methods classes on the teaching of reading and the teaching of math and the teaching of social studies. But it was the teaching of science class was the only class in all of my years of college that intentionally looked at the use of questions, you know, and and the questions you pose with youth and how do you facilitate their learning and um, everything else was about how you teach, you know, how do you transfer this knowledge to the youth. But the, whatever, this, the, the woman who was my teaching of science professor, you know, just really looking at the power uh, in this, of questions and how to use more sophisticated questions. And so when we look at the after-school workforce now and uh, we think, okay, how can we help them be as successful as possible, we can't expect most of them to become STEM experts, Right? Um, most people aren't STEM experts. Um, but what we can do is build on that knowledge of youth development and give them those skills to just facilitate STEM learning and ask those questions. And several of our presenters say it's almost better if you don't know the answer because you can work along with the youth and find out that answer together. Um, I think that type of approach will be uh, key to being successful because it's like, okay, no matter where you are, how comfortable you are with STEM, you can still facilitate, you know, with a little practice, a little preparation, a little training, you can facilitate quality STEM learning in a way that it's not just to get these ideas or these concepts across, but you're helping youth develop problem-solving skills and how to work with others and how to ask their own questions and how to find their own answers. That's what we can do in after school. So that's the kind of spirit that you will, you'll see at the different after-school science academies because um, – yeah, we're not hitting them over the head with like this. Is, these are the criteria that you need to. This is, it's you know, taking where you are, and and finding out what the youth are interested in and what the youth can do, and together making meaningful learning experiences. Of course, the realities of this work for line staff is really complicated by the youth development setting. Staff need to go in with a plan, but then they also need to be flexible enough to shift gears and be responsible to young people's needs. I am here with Christine Hines, um, and she is with 4-H in Missouri. Yes, University Extension of Missouri um, in Kansas City. And you're a frontline staff member? Yes, uh, because I want to help my students to be able to think on their own, wonder or, or question what's going on, and then want to search out for the answers. Mm-hmm. Or, do you have a science background or STEM Actually, background? Actually, I don't. Uh-huh. I don't. And even when it was introduced to me, the first program that was introduced was the robotics. And my initial response was, whoa, no, I don't do science. I, don't, I, wouldn't, I can't do that. Um, but then actually one of my, uh, my coworkers... Um, was was doing it and gave us our first session and naturally because I am actually curious about things I was like okay I don't mind learning it but it was a little intimidating mm-hmm. um, but turned out I, I love it <laughs> of course it's really fun and I and I think overall too I'm excited to be able to share that uh, help my students to be able to share that type of experience every day. It just depends on how the students come into the classroom. I might have my lesson prepared and all lined up and ready to go, but if one of my students come in because they've had a bad day, I got to be able to ready ready to switch gears and say, "Hey, let's just talk about it. Let's take a few minutes to talk about it," and then also even let everyone else share because usually somebody else wants to pitch in and say what happened in the day. But being okay with, "Hey, let's take a few minutes." 
if that's what you need to do and just want to talk right now, let's do that. And then when we're getting back, trying to get back on track with whatever the activities are for the day, um, with the questions that come up and there's sometimes they can be off the wall, but again, being okay with that too, uh, is not trying to just say we have to be on a set schedule because after school should be a little bit, a little bit more laid back. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, my approach is, yeah, I, I've, it, getting into this, being okay with not knowing the answer, understanding that it's okay not to know the answer, but that's the great part about it. We can find out. Let's go find out what the answer is. Participants of the Science Academy range from frontline staff like Christine to STEM experts and professional developers to state network leads and directors of youth programs at both local and regional levels. Our next guest is Jeff Cole from the Nebraska Community Learning Center Network. Jeff talks about the importance of bringing a team of different levels to this conference. And then later he addresses issues of equity in STEM and how we can work together as a field to address them. Why is it so important to bring a team of people that you have not, you have frontline people and all the way up to network leads what, why is it so important to have that kind of a team and yeah. a professional development experience like this? Right. You know, I think it's just very important for the, the human dynamics, the team building that goes on when you have people from different backgrounds hearing the same material but, may, but maybe viewing it from different perspectives. Uh, and then as we kind of meet together and can reflect on the experience, you can see how different, um, you know, where you're at in the STEM pipeline may impact the way that you heard the message and may provide different opportunities for you to kind of build on it. And then also when you come back, then you're not alone. Uh, you know, you're not returning with information that only you have. You're returning as part of a team. And as you're implementing, uh, then you have people who may not be in your particular position if you're a frontline staff or a site director, but you may be a systems-wide coordinator and can have an advocate that you can work with. And it goes both ways. As a mm -hmm. statewide lead, I definitely need to know, you know, what is working on the frontline basis and be able to have a portfolio of examples I can point to about quality programs that are happening in our state. You know, so much of it really is about partnerships. And as we began to uh, explore STEM opportunities in Nebraska, our first step was really trying to identify what the landscape looked like. Mm -hmm. And we found out there was a lot of really good programming happening across the state, but it was largely disconnected and not part of a larger movement, and that people wouldn't even characterize what they were doing as being STEM. And so a lot of what we've been trying to do is to raise the profile of the STEM activities that are currently happening in Nebraska and letting people know that it doesn't have to be something mysterious, uh, but really trying to demystify and uh, raise the profile and expose the great STEM that's already happening. Is STEM something that is within your background or what, what brings your passion to this yeah. particular work? Well, um, it's interesting. I had initially um, gotten into teaching through Teach for America and had a background in environmental economics. And uh, my teaching position was at a high school called High School for Environmental Studies. And uh, 
very quickly got into out of school time program related to environmental sciences and environmental policy mm-hmm. and had moved on from that work and, and gotten into my statewide systems building work and had largely forgotten, you know, on a day to day basis that aspect of what I used to do. And it was really getting reintroduced to the STEM professionals and some of the examples of, you know, really good project based learning where you see kids, you know, taking ownership of an issue that reminded me of my own roots. And it kind of re uh, ignited that passion that I had for working with young people around the, the intersection of uh, STEM, environmental education, and out-of-school time programs. You know, one of the things that uh, these conferences has done a great job over the years is really emphasizing the uh, um, diversity and equity aspects of STEM and uh, has really kept that kind of at the forefront. And I think as we kind of enter into an age now where we're much more aware of some of the opportunity gaps between richer and poorer Americans, it really does bring the importance of a more equitable distribution of STEM opportunities to the fore. So Mm -hmm. I've really appreciated that. And how are you taking that message back to your state? We've found, I think, a lot of traction around the uh, opportunity gap. Uh, As Americans, we really value opportunity. We're a land of opportunity. Mm -hmm. And we've found talking about the opportunity gap is a much more effective way of talking about equity-related issues. Equity sounds vaguely French and socialistic, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh, opportunity sounds wholehearted American. Yeah, yeah. And so we have found a lot more uh, traction talking about the opportunity gap and uh, rebuilding the American dream for all uh, of uh, the young people in our state and preparing um, all – it's kind of an all-hands-on-deck mentality. In order to be competitive in the 21st century, we need everybody to be able to succeed. Well, what are those factors of success? In Nebraska, we feel like we have quality public schools, uh, but we know that opportunities for expanded learning opportunities vary by income and almost predictably by zip code. Mm. And so our work really does focus on trying to think about creative ways to pool community resources together so that uh, low-income youth have the same opportunities to succeed that we want all our children to have. Another facet of improving access to and engagement in STEM is the opportunity programs have to engage families. Here's Tony Streit from Education Development Center discussing the importance of reaching out to families to support student learning. Part of my role is to is to kind of be a bridge between research and practice. And uh, and I hear from both camps this um, sense that we're trying all these different interventions like, oh, if we just tweak the curriculum this way or if we just have an extra hour during the school day for this and that. Um, so a lot of the intervention is like in the learning experience or, or we think in the mind of the young person. And then there's this family off on the side that may or may not be an influence or we might kind of go, well, that's a given. There's nothing we can do about it. Um, but um, I, a part of me just really believes that um, that um, permanent influence of family. You know, we always are who we are from who we come from, and uh, and the expectations they have for us and how we 
accept or not accept those um, in our life path. And, and I hope that the field can see that they're a great bridge to that. Um, in other words, that youth development, that after school often has had a, a, a closer connection to family and community and um, can actually deepen that in ways. Um, and so there are some that would argue you really can't have any impact at all if you can't um, counteract those expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm just of the camp that believes that um, you have to look at all of the factors and and try to um, raise all the boats or whatever mm-hmm. the analogy right, is. Right. And, and um, why wouldn't we want to help families see, you know, the benefits of embracing STEM or, um, or even just embracing school, you know, that, that, Mm -hmm. that learning is, um, incredibly important. You know, um, about a year ago, I, uh, I went to visit, um, a group of interns from university of Chicago, uh, working with project exploration. And Gabe Lyon asked me to come over and talk about, um, from our perspective of working with the National Science Foundation, the whole aspects of um, of how scientists should give back to the community. You know that that once you have knowledge, you you uh, you share that with um, mm-hmm. the public. And uh, so I came in to talk to these interns and. Of course, they're all University of Chicago graduate students, and they're all studying um, some aspect of STEM in some way. And so I used it as this little micro focus group opportunity for myself (laughs) where I asked them, like, so tell me about your parents. I'm really interested in, uh well, you know, this kid's dad was a physicist, and this kid's dad was an attorney, or, you know, that they, they came from professional families. Many of them came from academic families. Where it was clear the expectation for them was to go mm-hmm. into this field, and uh, and I and I just I don't think we can not think about that enough that the expectations that um, family or community or peer group um, sets for young people has major inter- influence. At the same time, I don't think we should go like oh you know. We're on the west side of Chicago, so nobody expects you to become a scientist. It, it has to be more about um, creating an environment where the the expectations are brought, you know, and we really want um, opportunity to take place. But it's also once you go there, then maybe you do need to have a, a family night, or you know, you do mm-hmm. need to because um, it isn't just you know mom or dad saying, okay, my son can become an engineer, but what do you actually have to do? What is the career pathway? And why would you have to think about it when they're in middle school or before then? Kenneth Hill is uh, one of the um, first PIs in the whole ITEST program. And um, again, uh, ITEST is an NSF initiative that was launched to, to... to essentially experiment with new ways to 
engage underrepresented groups in STEM learning. Um, there are interventions that happen in the school day or in the after-school environment. Um, they blend formal and informal learning. Um, but they're supposed to be these rich um, um, STEM experiences for young people that um, show them, you know, the, the, the pathways and the opportunities that are out there. And, um, and his first project uh, was one that he had done for many years in Detroit that was introducing teens to um, professionals in the automotive industry and seeing kind of, uh, you know, kind of raising the curtain and letting them see the, the STEM that's a part of um, this industry that, you know, is so vital in, in that part of the country. And, and then he moved to Chicago to retire and decided he wanted to take another crack at it and, um, and decided to launch a project in Chicago and had this idea to do it with little kids. And again, um, when he first kind of <laughs> suggested this, I, I was a little kind of, uh, well, I just, you know, like, how do you do engineering? I mean, I, I don't know. My kid is four and he loves building things too, but it's not necessarily with this framework of exposing a, a four-year-old to um, the field of engineering. Um, and so the the wonderful thing that they've been experimenting with is offering um, – workshops and programs that are parent and child together. And, you know, on a weekend, they go to the Science and Industry Museum and they do activities that are about engineering and they talk about the field. And I realized in in seeing the program come to fruition that it was as much about teaching the parents um, about these professions as it was about teaching the, the five-year-old what engineering is and that that was almost the more important influence was that that parent has a discovery and that discovery can in hopes uh influence that expectation piece that i was talking about and uh so i think those are wonderful now the the other side of it that i'm a big advocate for is we got to watch those kids for the next 13 years to see where their life goes. Right, right. And um, unfortunately, like, uh, there's a lot of interventions that are out there, but there isn't always the support for longitudinal research to really see what happens. We are here with Leslie Goodyear from Education Development Center. Um, happy to have you on Please Speak Freely today. Thank you. And I'm really interested to hear your perspectives on STEM and out-of-school time. And you just gave a session about um, how outcomes in STEM in out-of-school time. And so I was hoping that you could share a little bit about your insights on what what do people typically look for in outcomes in out-of-school time STEM and what should or could they be looking for? Well, so... Um People have a lot of opinions about what to look for in outcomes in out-of-school time, especially around STEM. There have been a lot of great documents published about that. Um, for example, the recent one out by the After School Alliance about STEM outcomes or the Learning Science and Informal Environments by the National Research Council. And um, they both have really great guidance on what outcomes could be in terms of being um, 
whether young people are engaged, whether they're um, developing identity in STEM, whether they're interested in pursuing careers in STEM, all of the things that um, in the After School Alliances document, they talk about how after school is poised to achieve those outcomes. Um, but what I was talking about in my talk um, about outcomes was more about how um, frontline practitioners, program managers, and state network builders can actually think about what outcomes look like in real life and how they can see them in their own work and use that knowledge of practice to help define what outcomes are and, and then help people learn how to measure them. Mm-hmm. So rather than um, taking guidance always from outside of the field and um, uh, outside of practice, using practice to generate ideas for what outcomes actually look like. As an evaluator, I do a lot of work um, with my clients about what is it that they need and how is it that they want to use information. And I think a lot of times that um, after-school practitioners and program leads assume that the evaluator knows what to measure when they walk into the program. And so they're not always asking the evaluator to make sure that those measurements are relevant to the work that they're doing. And so I was feeling... um, and. As much as these documents that give people ideas of what outcomes are achievable in after school, um, what they are, I think that um, those can sometimes make people feel like those are the only things they can do. And if they're seeing other things, then that's not okay. So what I was trying to um, help people think about is taking ownership of what they do and what they know is happening in their program and the great things they're seeing and reframe those great things they're seeing as outcomes. And then saying to their evaluator, I see, for example, one of the participants in the session said, when I see two kids working together and one is answering the other's questions, I see learning happening and I see mastery happening and I see taking ownership of STEM happening. And so then I, if I'm an evaluator, I can say, oh, I should be looking for that. And when I see two kids working together, then I should be looking to understand what's going on. I would encourage people in after school to really think seriously about whether the outcomes that are being pushed by funders and agencies like National Science Foundation make sense to them in practice and to really think hard about what they're seeing Mm -hmm. in their practice Mm -hmm. and um, what these things, what they look like on the ground and what they feel like and um, how you know when you see um, an engaged, excited, um, motivated kid. And then I would also um, encourage, I think, I have a sort of soapbox about evaluation, which is that it isn't for your funder and it's not for your stakeholders. It's for your program and for your kids. And so evaluation should really be reflective practice. And people ought to be thinking of evaluation as a way to help them demonstrate the value of what they're doing and make what they're doing better. finish up today's episode, I called Ron Ottinger, the executive director of the Noyce Foundation, to hear a little bit more about how the Midwest After School Science Academy has made a difference in bringing STEM to out-of-school time programs. I, uh, along with some of the early Noyce Foundation grantees, helped support the first Midwest Science Academy uh, conference and have marveled at how the academy has grown and um, has matured to support uh, the MOD after-school networks 
network leads and staff and um, as well as you know providers um, not only from across the Midwest but now from across the country as the Noyce Foundation and the Mott Foundation have teamed up to to get science into at least uh, half of uh, the Mott Foundation uh, after-school networks over the next uh, three years. So MASA uh, has been a key uh, strategy and a key vehicle for for helping uh, provide the kinds of awareness and, and understanding uh, among uh, the leadership of the, the Mott networks and of, of major providers in states to to understand how to how to get started with STEM. So uh, it's played a key role. And Jeff Bueller, who kind of was the uh, originator of of the idea and has orchestrated uh, academies, you know, over the last several years, you know, has done a terrific job uh, along with with others uh, to to ensure you know, the success of, of this effort. So um, it, it certainly has been a cornerstone of, of helping build science um, into the, the Mott State After School Network, starting with the Midwest, but now across the country. Well, that wraps up this special episode of Please Speak Freely, which was recorded live at the 2013 Midwest After School Science Academy in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks so much to all our guests. I think each interview really highlights how this conference has developed and deepened STEM learning, leadership, and capacity among after-school providers. The Science Academy is truly a model for professional development and capacity building in informal science education. Go to projectliftoff.net to learn more.